Third chapter of Second Peter. Hard to find a place to begin or a place to end, so you wouldn't mind standing with us. We may read the whole chapter. Do a good reading anyway. There's been a lot of talk about the coming of the Lord, about some of the signs of time being fulfilled and all of this. And we want to deal with a little bit of that subject tonight, probably in a different vein. Careful that I don't cross your theology tonight, but if I do, think on it. Read the Word and see whether I'm telling you what's necessary or not. Peter, writing, I feel like, to us, that this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both, which I stir up your pure minds by the way of remembrance. Wake up there long enough to say the best way in the world to stir up minds is to remember. Yes. Remember. You'll find that throughout the Bible, remember it. That you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandments of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, and the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved into fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord is a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. Look at that word, promise. As some men count slackness, but it's long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come, as a thief in the night, in the which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise. The elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also in the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought we to be in all holy conversation and godliness? Looking far and hastening into the coming of the day of the Lord, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for a new heaven and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that you look for such things, be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace, without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of, of these things, in which are sometimes hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, 
as they do offer the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. But grow in grace and in knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, to him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Father, we thank you tonight for the reading of your word. We thank you because we know it's true. Father, now we pray that we would stand before you in all submissiveness and all humility and ask that we be used of you tonight. Father, we pray that you would move from us our ideas and opinions, move from us any theology we might have not according to the scriptures, and Father, let your words be spoken through these lips of clay. Father, anoint us, we need you, and also anoint the ears of those who listen. They might hear, Father, and not only be a hearer of the word, but a doer of the word. Anoint them, Father, in their hearts, that it might be moved by you and by your power and their mind, that it might reach out, reach out to bless your undefiled word. Thank you, Jesus, for being with us tonight, for the spirit we felt already, for the unity of the brethren and communion that we have with one another. We honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you and thank you for standing and you see you. What I'm going to say tonight is not in any way trying to undo some of the signs that Jesus spoke concerning and for us to watch. But it seems to me, as I listen to everyone's theory on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ and on the signs that are appearing or will appear, it seems to me that the second coming of the Lord has been lost in a maze of prophetic interpretation. And it seems to me like we should try to rediscover and return to its rightful place, the coming of the Lord as the cardinal tenet of faith, or in other words, an essential part of the belief of the Church of God. We have to come to the realization, I think, that the second coming of the Lord is not as much a prophecy or a prediction as it is a promise. It is a promise. Now, there's been a lot said concerning the coming of Christ. Even at his first coming, there was false predictions of Messiahs even before Jesus came, and when he came, they rejected him, all because they did not understand his word and his spiritual sin. But a lot happened since then, and just to name one or two, and there's been probably a hundred more than what I'll name here, but in 1844, Reverend Miller, prophesied and set a date for the second coming of the Lord, and of course Christ didn't come. But from it came the Baha faith, and it originated from that. You're going to have a, whenever you try to put a lid on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ as to when he's coming, you're sure to bring forth some faith and originate some faith that are not God-wise. It hasn't been very long ago until some individuals from a small band from Evansville, Indiana, and a 
surrounding communities canceled their plans for our, uh, their future and resigned their jobs and waited prayerfully for the perusia for the coming of the Lord, and it never came. So you see, we're living in a day and hour of prediction, of prophetic interpretation. And a lot of people are setting their sights on that. And a lot of people are becoming despondent, disappointed, and disturbed because of that. Now, I shudder to think, truthfully, as we wind up this age that we're living in and come to the close of this 2,000-year dispensation, I shudder to think what is going to happen to the faith of a lot of individuals if we close this 2,000-year dispensation and Jesus doesn't come. Right. I was talking to one of my young minister friends over the telephone about a week ago, and he had been to a seminar on the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they had studied in depth concerning some of the things that's supposed to happen as we close this 2,000-year period of time, which could be in most of our lifetimes. And he was so excited that I didn't want to put water or a damper on what he was saying, but I've been through this a little bit before, and I asked him a question. I said, what is going to happen to your faith and the faith of your church when you minister this? And you set this forth as happening at the end of this dispensation. What is going to happen to their faith if it did not happen? Where are they going to be and what are they going to do? Now, just let me take my time tonight because I'm getting to something I feel like is very important in a Christian life. Whenever Peter wrote, these words, although there's been much said about the second coming and a lot of things that's been, been said, but he said nothing in here about the Roman Empire, restoration of it. He said nothing about the destruction of Jerusalem. said nothing about God or Magog. said nothing about the all prophetic utterances that we're hearing in your day and mine. He only said that in spite of what individuals said or did, and in spite of what came or went, and in spite of what generation passed and he didn't come, he just simply said, nevertheless, the day of the Lord will come. Amen. Now, to me, that's a promise. Mm -hmm. That's a solid oath. Hallelujah. Amen. Whether that happens tonight or I lay in my grave at the end of time, or all my aspirations and hopes that I pin in him coming in my lifetime are not fulfilled, the promise to me is that the day of the Lord will come. Yes. I, for one, would like to be rooted and grounded in the faith of Almighty God with the fact that He's coming. Amen. And with His coming, there's going to be a lot of things happen. I can't particularly set a day, but it seems to me like people are trying to beat one another to prophetic fulfillment. Are you here at every place? I mean, you hear it over the radio from individuals that I uh, hardly know how to interpret the Bible in any way, and they have a revelation of their own as to when Jesus is coming. Mm -hmm. And you hear the big scholars, and they make their trips to Jerusalem, and, and they talk to the mayors over there, and all of these things, and they get inside information and inside note on the closeness of the coming of the Lord. And while they're doing that, they're turning people's attention to these prophetic utterances. Right. And they're making them 
prophetic pronouncements instead of letting the word say what it wants to say that it is a promise that he is going to come whether it's today or tomorrow or the next day he is going to come but in the meantime in the meantime what do we do I think that is a very pertinent question for us tonight, and I'd like for us to seriously consider that. Now we spend our time following after these individuals that claim to have the answers and can pinpoint us almost to the very hour that is coming. Should we pin our hopes to their coattails, or should we delve into the Word of God? find out what our duties and responsibilities are as saints of God and go about our business doing that and leave the rest of it in the hands of the all-knowing, all-wise God. And we'll be far less disappointed that way in our faith would be hitched to something that's a reality, not this interpretation of humanity. Peter said, nevertheless, we, according to his promise. I like that because it tells us his promise Look for a new heaven and a new earth where the end dwelleth righteousness. Our eyes ought to look to that. Our minds ought to try to conceive that. Because that's the promise of God. That however this earth is destroyed, wherever we are going to be, whether it's down here with a new earth or up there in the heavens, we argue so much about it. We ought to realize there is a promise that there's coming a time where righteousness is going to dwell and there'll be no unrighteousness. Amen. And then that will solidify anybody's faith. And it will also not give way to many divisive thoughts and arguments, ideas and opinions that have separated humanity. Paul had this same type of thinking, eschatology. He talked about, uh, he didn't say too much about the rising Antichrist. Talk about the great tribulation, thousand year reign of peace, the Middle East alignment, the Armageddon, God and Magog. Now all of these are part of God's plan, but they are not his emphasis. His emphasis is placed on the fact that he is coming. Now you say, well, why is the coming of the Lord been written in the Bible? Now you have to understand this. And this is, may cross you, I hope it don't. But from the time the church has been born, every generation has looked for Jesus in their day. The apostles thought he would come in their time. It's revealed inside Paul, uh, look for him to come in his time, or at least to his his generation. Mm -hmm. Almost every generation after that. Whenever the persecution come to Rome under Nero, they thought, sure, this was the Antichrist, he was going to come, or the beast, and he was going to come in that generation. All and on and on you could go. You can remember your Kaisers, and you can remember your Hitlers and your Mussolinis, where everybody with their predictions got on the bandwagon and determined this was the time when Jesus was going to come. And every generation sometimes have went to their grave disappointed in their life because Jesus didn't come. I made up my mind a long time ago. I'd like to see him in my generation. I'd like to know that he's coming in my generation. I'd like to escape death if I possibly could. But I made up my mind a long time ago that whether I go to the grave or whether I am alive, I'm going to see him as he is. Hallelujah. And to me, that's important. Now, God has a fivefold purpose for proclaiming his second coming. 
I was to name them for you, and I'd like you to consider them. The second coming, now it's prominent in the Bible. It's talked about in the Bible. But it was proclaimed to instill righteousness. Amen. There's a parable that teaches us that we ought to be accountable to a returning master. Yes. Does it tell us the particulars necessarily of when he is going to return? It just talks about a parable of a master that had a vineyard and was going away and left it in the hands of his servants. And he simply gave them some talents. He said, invest till I come or occupy till I come. I think that's the job of the church this evening. Uh, tonight is to uh, occupy until he comes. The, uh, the translation of the Greek uh, of that is occupy till I come or invest till I come. In other words, take what God has given you in your life, the power of the Holy Ghost, the seed of righteousness within you, and invest that in the life of somebody else until he comes. Most times we get our minds on the sky and fail to realize that it's plowing time, seed sowing time, and soon it will be harvest time. And right now we have a chance to invest for gain and invest in other lives what God has given us. I think the greatest privilege man has been afforded is to be able to take somebody else by the hand and lead him into the kingdom of God and get a star in our crown for doing that. You see, God has given us something. He's given us something to make us feel good, and it does. He's giving us something to make us shout, it should. We can speak in tongues because of it, and we ought to. And it makes goosebumps go up and down our backbone, and it ought to do that. But primarily, that if God has given us, is so we can invest that in the life of somebody else, that they might know what we know and feel what we feel. Amen. And it's proclaimed to instill righteousness within us. Jesus purposely leaves a mystery to his coming so that we will every day live our life as if he's coming back. So that doing that, the day would never take us unawares. You say it's impossible? No, it's not. I think Peter was writing not only to the church, and Paul's writing was to the church, talking about that day might come and catch us unawares. In other words, we may be looking at the wrong thing. Our schedule might be tacked up the wrong place. Our ideas might be wrong. And if we go after interpretations and predictions instead of the promises of the Lord, we very well could miss the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we'd be following blindly after these things and failing to realize we still have a job on this earth to do. So many times we get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Amen? Right. I mean, our mind soars to the sky so much and what's going to be good for us and what Jesus is going to do for us until we're not too much good in this earth while people's dying. Dying and going to hell every day by the thousands and by the millions and people wallowing in misery. And it's the job of the church to invest what we have in their lives. Right. And there's still righteousness within us so that we could live holy and righteous in this present hour. Paul spoke of the blessed hope. He reminded Titus of these things. you find out in Titus 2, 12, and 13, to teach sobriety and godliness in this present world. Peter urged his readers who look for such things to be diligent, that you may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless. 
In other words, what they were both saying is teach individuals to be sober in this present world. Teach them to be godly in this present world. Teach them to get their eyes on this world they're living in and live a life so it'll be fit for the world to come and invest in other lives so you can take them in to the world to come. And Peter's telling us to be diligent. In other words, be up about what we're doing, concerned about it, so when he comes, we'll find he'll find us without spot and blameless. Right. What do you mean blameless? In other words, he doesn't blame us for lives that are lost. He doesn't blame us for souls that haven't found the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we have found our spot in him, we recognize who he is and what we are, and God helped the church over to recognize their responsibility in this present world, at this present hour, and believe Jesus will take care of the rest of us. We spend a lot of time spinning our wheels, but the second coming all throughout the Bible was proclaimed so it would instill righteousness in us. Now, I made a mistake, and like I told you, my father was a prophetic preacher. A lot of things he said came to pass, a lot of them have not as yet, but he always dealt in prophecy. I was intrigued by that, and I started in my early part of the ministry of following after prophecy, and there's nothing wrong with prophetic messages. I want you to understand that. But following after them, the Lord stopped me one time and said, of what value is it? If people know all the prophetic events that's going to happen in the future and they can't live their life for me now, what's going to happen to them? You see, it's of no value to know future events if you don't know that your life has to stay righteous every day through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I think I had the greatest awakening some years ago when I was ministering on the tabernacle and on the temple had some real good information I felt and it probably still good information on the temple and make this statement that Jesus would not certainly return until the temple was rebuilt well maybe that's so but when I did that I noticed from conversation of several of the members of the church I noticed that I had instilled a sort of a lethargy in them. Because they thought that being the temple wasn't even started to be built, that they maybe had time to play around just a little bit. That maybe they had just time to sit down and sleep a little while, and their lives become not diligent as they one time was. I take the blame for this. Because I think the Word of God is supposed to proclaim to us an urgency for our hour. And any time we set forth something that would lull people to sleep, I think it's a miss. I don't think God appreciates it. I think He means to make us aware of the day we're living in. Mm-hmm. We have a tomorrow to face. Yesterday's gone, today has full well been lived, and we have a tomorrow to face. If He was come tonight, I want to be found blameless. If he comes tomorrow, I want to be found blameless. If he comes the next day, I want to be found blameless. If he doesn't come for a hundred years and I lay in my grave, I want to rise blameless for the fact that I've done the best I could with what I had in my life. Yes. Amen. But I didn't feel an urgency inside. I just heard some ministers this Sunday morning proclaiming the same thing a young man said it tonight, more or less 
and shriveled up inside, and I thought, I wish I could talk to him. I wish I could impart a little bit of wisdom of what God has done for me in those lives, because I know what it's going to do. I've been through it before. I know what it's going to do. It's going to take some urgency away from them. They feel like that in their lifetime Jesus is coming. And this young man said the, the, uh, everything had already been set. And he had already talked to the uh, individual in Jerusalem. And plans had already been made. And it was now about ready to build the temple. And the already things were set in order. And he more or less said this would happen within the next few years. And here are individuals sitting out there looking for the coming of the Lord. Wanting him to come. Yes, we certainly should want him to come. But their eyes got off of their job here in this world. And in a solemn to say power. And they begin to look prophetically that something is going to happen in just a few years. And then our job is still to salvage this world and humanity from the ruination of this world. Don't ever forget that. Amen. The greatest job we have is salvaging wrecked humanity right. and moving souls into the kingdom of God. The second coming was proclaimed in the Bible to instill an urgency mm -hmm. in the lives of individuals. The main reason the apostles spoke very little about the external evidence of fulfillment is because if the world knew some of these things, they lose their urgency on the hour. Jesus' parable of the wise and foolish virgin emphasizes the fact that we need to be diligent up and about our Father's business. I think probably that collaborates with the statement that I just made. For the foolish virgins, all of them seem to be well to sleep. Now, I am, am persuaded in my own thinking that it's eschatology like this, expression of the Word of God like this, dispersion of the Word of God like this, that lulls individuals to sleep. That makes us set and look into the heavens for something that is coming and fail to see with our eyes the seed of humanity going down the drain and taking lives every chance it possibly gets. And while people are gazed into the heavens, and while we shouted over the good news of the second coming of the Lord, and felt good in our prosperity and the comforts of our own home, the powers of hell have slipped into our schools, and slipped into our places you never thought he would be, and slipped into churches while men slap the devil's toady seed. And if we could have followed the apostles' advice and instilled some urgency in the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, instilled some urgency in the fact that we need to be living like he wants us to live. We don't know when the bridegroom's coming. If we can live our life every day like he's coming in the next five minutes, we'd be far better off than anybody else. People lived in Norwich, they perished. You know why they did? Because they waited for, to, for some signs of rain before they believed. You see, God asked us to live by faith. He asked us to get a hold of something that we've never seen. He asked us to believe in a God we've never seen. To believe in a Savior that we've never touched in a sense. He asked us to believe sometimes what looks to our own human mind as stupidity as it's written in the Bible. He doesn't tell us to believe because we see signs. He tells us to believe Him whether there's a sign number one around Him. Just because He said it. And Peter said the same thing, but the day of the Lord shall come. Right. 
erase from your mind the saying, or whatever. Just believe it's going to come. And live your life like you're going to be ready tomorrow, the next minute. Live your life like this. They waited for some signs and wonders before they believed. There's a lot of people out here looking for the same thing, for some signs of the second coming of the Lord. But there's a scripture that says we must work while it is now days. Yes. For the night cometh when no man can look. I've often stood and gazed at those scriptures. And it seems to me as if it is a heartless, heartless thing to say. I sometimes study and wonder, God, what is going to happen? What's going to be our feelings? What's going to be, what's going to take place in our lives when all this time we've been used to working? We've been working. We've been used to sowing seeds. We've been used to witnessing. We've been used to getting a hold of unstable souls and carrying them along. We've been used to providing the strength for weak individuals. We've been used to caring individuals that didn't know the power of the Holy Spirit. And we've always had this opportunity to work and to deal. If we don't do it today, we've always known there's a tomorrow. What's going to happen in the world in our life? When finally the sound comes, and it will, it's going to come when God is going to say, that's all. You can't do anymore. Those that are out there left to their own devices. The door is shut. Your opportunity is gone. I'm sure we would gaze upon that and realize that there's been squandered moments of prayer and of fasting and witnessing. There's been times that we could have been more concerned about family members and about those that are lost in this world. I'm sure once God has stepped through the door, there comes this solemn reality that we can do enough. And it's going to be hard for us to realize that there won't be a tomorrow to meet them. The greatest excuse we use all through the ages of time has been put off till tomorrow. I can do it the next day to let somebody else do it. And finally the door has been shut. And God says, no more. You see, when the foolish virgins, and that's a real good example of that, when the foolish virgins awoke, they'd been used to somebody being around to supply the necessities that they didn't have. God. I mean, they'd been used to living their life kind of carriage. And also there was wise virgins, and these 
for the classification of those that have realized that their life must be lived with urgency and diligence. And they knew the type of life they ought to live. And when they awoke, they trimmed their lamps and they had oil in there. And they went out to meet the bridegroom and went in with him. You see, they had something other. And prophetic utterances as to when he was coming, they had a holy character and a holy life lived. And when they arose from the slumber, they had something inbred within them that didn't escape them. Hallelujah, they had something to see them the rest of the way through. The people in those days Reward 
is eternal, we can persevere and walk into the end of it all. But you see, most of us can't see beyond the temporary struggle. And if we could persevere enough to know that regardless of when he comes or how he comes, it's just a temporal struggle. It's not going to last always at all. But there's victory in all of it is assured, and the reward is an eternal reward that no man can take away from. Number four, the second coming is declared to instill comfort. Paul, in his dissertation to the Corinthians, comfort were soaring over the deceased loved ones with a beautiful discourse of the Lord's return in my life. Paul calls on them to have faith. He calls on them to look past the sorrow of that day, to realize that death is in the land and everybody must die unless Jesus comes first. And he finds some way to put an emphasis on the eternal. Christ some way to instill and get us to live in the tomorrow as well as the today. And forget about yesterday. He tries some way to instill in us the comfort that the resurrection should bring. He tells them to have faith. To sorrow not as others that don't have any hope. And then he says, the Lord himself shall descend. <laughs> Woo, thank God. With a voice and a shout of an archangel, he says. And the dead in Christ will rise first. In other words, every Christian has been planted in the grave, wherever they're at, or in the bottom of the sea, wherever they might have been. All of those that's going to come together and rise first. And then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the air. And he says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. And he says, comfort one another with these words. Who thank God for that comfort that he gives us. Who something inside of me turning over and over and over. Hallelujah. Comfort one another with these words. What's the comfort? The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. You have tears of sorrow. You follow them in a church or at a funeral home and you pass by them for the last time. And you go to the graveyard and you watch them lowered down in there and your heart melts and you're sad. And Paul knew that. He knew that. What had happened really was these Corinthians, like every generation, looked for Jesus to come in their generation, and he didn't come. And their loved ones was dying. And ladies and no, and Paul wrote it down there and said, fine, you may have to follow them to the grave. You may have to watch them put in their cage and a stone down there. But he tried to tell them, look, look. There's a promise, not a prophetic utterance, not a prediction, but a promise that there will come a time 